Hello and welcome to RipperCast as we present to you another recording from the audio archives. This installment is author John Morrison in 1992 on Whip's Cross Hospital Radio. As the name implies, Whip's Cross Hospital Radio is a station that broadcasts to patients and staff of the network of hospitals in the Whip's Cross section of London. And for the uninitiated, John Morrison, who died in 2005, was the author of the self-published book Jimmy Kelly's Year of Ripper Murders, 1888, and had what one might call an obsession with the Whitechapel murder victim Mary Kelly. His was the first book to name James Kelly, the escapee from the Broadmoor Lunatic Asylum, as Jack the Ripper. While many parts of Morrison's short book, and the claims he made to build his suspect theory, seem outlandish to most Ripperologists, it did lead James Tully to investigate the lunatic Kelly and write his own highly regarded book, The Secret of Prisoner 1167. So, Morrison was a bit of an odd duck, but since I imagine this recording is fairly rare, let's give it a listen. John Morrison on Whips Cross Hospital Radio. Good evening, this is Whipscross on a Wednesday evening. It's Midweek Magazine with John Dahl. I'm joined by John Morrison. The truth about Jack the Ripper, the murders. I'm considered to be the world's leading authority on that subject. And are there a lot of people who study Jack the Ripper? I mean, I know everyone probably watched the television series and all that sort of yeah. thing. But are there many people who still to this day... Oh, indeed. Are in indeed, it's a hobby with people. And from all walks of life and from all over the world. And believe me, that the interest in the Whitechapel murders can only be described as phenomenal. Mm. And in fact, there's more interest now than there ever was at the time in question. Right. How long yeah. have you been interested in it? Eleven years. Right. And what, Non-stop. And what started this off? Well, I read many books on Jack the Ripper. And in my opinion, uh, they all amounted to rubbish and rubbish of the first order. By that I mean that all these so-called theories would never have stood up in a British criminal court of law. And so um, I thought I'd investigate them for myself. The last known victim of Jack the Ripper, namely Mary Kelly, buried right on the corner of my street. That is to say, St. Patrick Cemetery, Langthorne Road, Leighton Stone, which in fact is two minutes walk from Leighton tube station. I was just going to say, it's around the corner, isn't it? We could just exactly, go around there and look at it now. Exactly, Amazing, yeah. I better not be... Let's yeah. start off, first of all, by saying to anybody listening, forget anything you've ever heard before about Jack the Ripper, anything you've seen on television. John, tell us a bit about those murders. Right. The true facts. All that really happened, you should only take about one and a half minutes to tell. <laughs> that between January and November 1888, a number of prostitutes were murdered in and around the Whitechapel area. But the only ones you could really put down to Jack the Ripper were the last five, because the same modus operandi was used in each case. And, uh, and as you know, the police uh, never found him. And uh, that ended the, the Whitechapel murders. But in 1891, that is uh, three years later, 
The New York City police came to London, went to Scotland Yard and complained that they had had a prostitute murdered in New York by the name of Old Shakespeare. And uh, her death was consistent with a type Jack the Ripper would hand out. Scotland Yard uh, said that was nonsense. They had Jack the Ripper bottled up in London and it was only a matter of time before they nabbed him. After all, they were then known as the Great Scotland Yard. Mm. Well, the Americans went back and about six or nine months later, the Paris police turned up. They said, we've had a similar murder. And uh, Scotland Yard said, it's not surprising, we'll probably hear from Australia and New Zealand next. Carbon copy, don't worry, we'll get Jack, leave him to us. And that was the end of the story. How did they expect it to be a carbon copy? I mean, in those days, we're talking about uh, how long? Hundred, at least over 100 years ago. years, yes. They couldn't turn on the television as you can nowadays and say, oh, something's happened in London. How did news spread from London to New York to Paris about these murders? Well, well uh, of course, uh, um, well, like anything else, you know, did Charles Dickens get over to the United States? You know, it was... Uh, um, it just travelled. Uh, of course, news was slower in those days, I agree mm. with you. That's why I said before, there's more people interested now because news travels fast and also because in working-class areas, people are better educated than there was in those days, you see. So, anyway, that is really all that's happened. Right. Now, they were particularly horrific murders, weren't they? Uh, well, there was, and the worst one, of course, was Marie Jeanette Kelly. She was the... Oh, well, that was the name she liked to be known as. It was really Mary... Jane Kelly, but she liked to be known as Marie Jeanette. And, of course, she suffered the worst death. Uh, in fact, one of the police officers said, compared to her, the others only needed first aid treatment. <laughs> she really did work on Mary Kelly, you know. And, of course, she was the only victim murdered indoors. The rest, as you know, he slaughtered in the street. <clears throat> did the police have theories at the time, the police at that time? Uh, they hadn't got a clue. None at all. But an interesting point, it will prove interesting in a moment. The general public said, we believe the person you're really looking for is in all probability an escaped lunatic. And I've got it in writing from Scotland Yard. At the time, they said the upshot was we checked every lunatic asylum throughout Great Britain, including, of course, Broadmoor. We asked two questions. One. Have you released anyone in the past 12 months who might just prove to be a potential Jack the Ripper? Answer, no. And silly to ask you, but you haven't had anyone go over that wall, have you? Oh, no, definitely not. Answer. I suppose if they had, were they likely to have admitted to it? Well, I now know someone did go over the wall. And I also know why they were most reluctant to mention it. And it wasn't because they thought he was Jack the Ripper. When he went over the wall from Broadmoor, it would appear he stole all the staff's wages amounting to what they called a considerable sum in gold sovereigns. So they just didn't want that made public. But in fairness to them at the time, they did not connect him with the Whitechapel murders. OK, well, we'll go on to talk about him in just a minute. But there have been a lot of theories since, a lot of books written... Indeed there are. Yes. And they've blamed everyone from royalty to yeah, Duke of Clarence and uh, um, Montague Druitt. And uh, we've even had a Gilda Ripper, you know. Uh, she was a mad uh, midwife. Uh, and she, <laughs> she carried out illegal abortions. The only thing is that none of those women wanted an abortion. They weren't pregnant. Uh, and then we've had the theory that uh, a doctor or his son caught a venereal disease 
from Mary Kelly, really, and to get at Mary, he made inquiries through the other prostitutes and killed them so there'd be no witnesses. But sadly for him, at the post-mortem, Mary Kelly didn't have a venereal disease, so he forget that one. Right. Which of these theories do you think is the best? I mean, there are theories that most of the murders, four of them will cover up for the, the fifth or something like that. I mean, no, do any of them hold water? Well, none of, none of them. They're absolute nonsense. You see, the point is... Uh, None of them would stand up in a British criminal court. You, you can't go into the old Bailey and say to that learned judge, it must have been the Duke of Clarence because we're non-sexual and he had stereotypes. I mean, that, that one, well, he wouldn't seem to allow you, if he'd allowed you in the courtroom, he'd probably put you away for contempt. Um, uh, and so none of them would stand up. So what have you done to actually prove this? You've looked at documents and all that I sort of thing. It took me 11 years working night and day, and I'm still working. And, uh, but now I can, without uh, fear of ridicule or intelligent contradiction, tell you that the man responsible for the Whitechapel murders was the one James Kelly, who was born uh, in, eight, in uh, Preston in Lancashire. His mother was described as of ill repute and 100% illiterate, and he was born out of wedlock, which, as you will appreciate in those days, the born out of wedlock carried a terrible social stigma. Uh, a, a quick example, to get a job as a postman or a nurse, you turned up with your marriage lines. Not to determine your age, but to determine your origin. And if they found you were illegitimate, they not only asked you to leave the premises, but believe me, they would insult you as you did so. Mm. So it would appear that as soon as James Kelly was old enough to roam, that's exactly what he did. I've traced that he went down to St. Albans in Hertfordshire, was befriended by a vicar. And then he left there and turned up at the Angel uh, Islington, North London. And then he took up lodgings at 21 Cottage Lane, Islington, which is uh, opposite St. Mark's Hospital, which is still standing. And uh, in 1883, he married the eldest daughter of his landlady, Sarah and she became Sarah Kelly, like his mother. He'd only been married 14 days when he came home one night and he accused her of walking up the streets, Islington, with local trash. A row ensued and the upshot was he picked up a knife and stabbed her in the neck, damaging what they called the right carotid artery. He was arrested and charged with attempted murder and she was shipped off to St. Bartholomew's Hospital. And I've been there, I've seen the record, it's all there. After a couple of days, the authorities at uh, St. Bar uh, Bartholomew's rang the police and said, you better get out here because she's not going to last. They went out there with a the magistrate and took a deposition. In other words, they took a statement. And the following morning, she died. They now went back to James Kelly and charged him with murder. And he was placed in uh, Newgate to await trial. Eventually he appeared at the Central Criminal Court and uh, in no time at all he was found guilty. And there's only one answer, and that was a rope. Mm -hmm. And he said to Kelly, have you, well the judge said to Kelly, have you anything to say why sentence of this court should not be passed upon you? And Kelly replied, I've been in touch with the dear Lord and he has forgiven me. I asked my fellow man to do the same. Spare me, so that I can spend the rest of my life in the service of God. <laughs>
Can I tell you something, he said, about the immorality of women? At that point, the judge stopped him and told him he was hardly in a position to moralise and, in effect, said, take him away and hang him. OK, so we've got the story. He's murdered his wife. He's going right. away for the vote. Right. Obviously, he got away somehow, according to you. Yeah. Uh, we'll take a break for a little bit of music now. Mm. Uh, in your large collection of documents and his, um, what would you call it? The biggest collection in the world. <laughs> I've got the most comprehensive files in the world right. on Jack the Ripper, you better believe How yeah. many records have you got about Jack the Ripper? Well, if you count records, birth certificates, marriage lines of all in victims, uh, newspaper yeah. reports, letters I've had from people from all around the world, you're talking about a quarter of a million. Amazing, mm-hmm. isn't it? It might have taken 11 years. Okay. Yeah. I'll say quickly, if I'd have known it was going to take 11 years, I think I'd have taken up bricklaying or piano or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> now, how many songs have there been about Jack the Ripper? Because when I knew you were coming in, I thought, well, I'll do a little bit of homework and find something appropriate to play. There was a pop song, wasn't there? There was. Uh, somebody told me that, of course. That must have been before my investigation. Or, but, but, but in fairness, at my age, I'm 23. Well, OK. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 67. Um, I, uh, I don't have much um, time for pop music. In fact, when Gracie Fields died, I stopped listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, shall I? Yeah. It was 20 years ago that pop song came out, because well, I dug it out to play. Have you found it? I have. That's and lovely. Do you know who it's by? No. Screaming Lord Such. The guy that stands for... He's not that fellow, the politician. politician with the I, top I, I hat. Won't. 20 yeah. years ago, he released this song. So let's have a little listen to it. Won, yeah. Pretty little girl, let's take a mile. If I 
by-election, Screaming Lord Such and Jack the Ripper, and that came out in 1973. Now, we've talked about James Kelly. We got to the point where the judge said, take him off, and he's going to be hanged. That's right. How did he get away with it? Well, uh, uh, they placed him in the condemned cell at Newgate, and uh, in those days, uh, they had two warders with you to make sure you didn't hurt yourself before they finished, you know, before you were executed. And uh, he paced up and down the condemned cell, repeating what he'd said to the judge, that the Lord was walking with him, and uh, could he tell them about the immorality of women. And by this time, of course, God's got a mission for him in life, you see. And um, all this was reported to the Secretary of State, who decided that Kelly was nothing more than a star-raving lunatic. So he commuted the sentence to one of life in... Uh, what they then called Her Majesty's Criminal Lunatic Asylum uh, Broadmoor, which you know is in Berkshire. And Kelly was shipped off there, and it would appear from the moment he entered, uh, he carried on his religious act, because that's all it was, as we shall see later on. So he went around telling the other inmates that God was coming around the mountain any moment, and as he walked past, he'd give the guards one of his, Kelly's, blessings, you see. So they decided Kelly was a religious lunatic, but he was harmless, and that is what Kelly wanted them to think about him, you know. On the 23rd of January, 1888, he acquired a lady's corset spring, which wasn't difficult because he used to have ladies at Broadmoor at that time, inmates, of course, and from it he fashioned a pass key, and he flipped all the security locks, which let him out into the grounds and I've every reason to believe he then entered the administration block and added insult to injury by stealing all the staff's wages amounting to what they called a considerable sum in gold sovereigns. And then Kelly went smartly over that wall. And that was the last Broadmoor saw of him for a long time. For a long time. And then in uh, April 1927, a staggering 39 years later, Kelly by this time a down and out, sleeping rough on park benches, getting on in years, fast failing in health, empty in pocket and stomach, decided Broadmoor wasn't a bad place after all. <laughs> so, so he tramped all the way back to Broadmoor. And you remember in those days, no motorways, you know, yeah. uh, little winding country lanes. Anyway, he got back. And by the time he, he got to the gate, he, he looked a sorry sight. So uh, he knocked and the warder came out and asked him what he wanted. And Kelly said, I escaped, I've come to give myself up. And the water said, by the looks of you, I couldn't even walk. Mm. Now, I saw you should have tramped looking for the bed for the night. Now, either you get on your merry way or I'll send for the police and have you arrested. At that point, an elderly retired warden uh, doing his guarding went over and asked what the fuss was all about and he immediately recognised Kelly. And between them, they made a mistake which, in the very near future, Broadmoor are going to regret. And that is they opened the gates and let James Kelly walk in. And the moment they did that, he became, in legal terms, an untouchable because he was 
a certified criminal lunatic. And whatever Kelly may or may not have done while he was out, you couldn't have charged him with anything. For a smart lawyer would say, my client is unfit to plead. By your own reckoning, not his. He didn't certify himself. Anyway, they then took him up before the superintendent, that's like the, the governor of an ordinary penal institution, and uh, Kelly was asked, where have you been for 39 years? And Kelly said, I went away to sea. By the way, he said, I had a, a, an exciting time in New York and Paris. But before that, Kelly, I mean, what did you do before? He said, I had a ripping time in Whitechapel. Now, whether it was the superintendent of Broadmoor on his own initiative or acting on behalf of the Secretary of State, I do not know. But they definitely placed Kelly in solitary confinement. Get rid of him. Within 18 months, Kelly was found dead in his cell. Now, I do know that anyone dying in a penal institution must be subjected to a post-mortem by law. Right. But Broadmoor carried out post-mortem for two reasons. One, to conform with the law, and two, to find out how he did die. But I didn't know he died. The results of the post-mortem, I've got his death certificate, I've got the reports and everything, they said he died as a result of double lobar pneumonia. Now, as any doctor will tell you in this hospital, you don't walk very far with that. He would spot you a mile off. And when you consider, like Whitscross Hospital, Broadmoor, you watch sort of impatience, huh? mm. like a cat watching a mouse. So Kelly would have been normally treated had he not been in solitary, lying on his bunk, and no one knew about him. You're saying they just locked him up and forgot about him, basically. That's right. And the Secretary of State, because certainly the superintendent of Broadmoor didn't have the authority, gave the orders, I want Kelly buried quickly and quietly in the precinct of Broadmoor. I don't want him out. Even in death, I don't want him out. And that was done, and he's there today in an unmarked grave. He's actually in the Guinness Book of Records, isn't he? He's the, in the Guinness longest Book of escaped records, prisoner. They yeah. got it all wrong. They brought me a letter saying thank you. Really? Yes. Um, they said uh, that James Kelly was the um, longest escapee uh, from a British uh, uh, penal institution. He was on the run for 39 years. That he killed his wife in Liverpool, and he got it all wrong. So I wrote to them, and I said, not only have you got his... He didn't die in 1930, he died in 1929. He was a copy of his death certificate. And I said, he didn't murder his wife in Liverpool. He did have Liverpool connections, by the way, but he didn't murder his wife in Liverpool. As you can see, he murdered her, so they altered it. And now, if you look at the new one, it's all been put right. Right. Yeah. Now, how can you categorically say Kelly was Jack the Ripper? Right. Now, uh, of course, I haven't got a video of him actually committing the murder. So <laughs> all but, though, by the sound of it. I wish I did. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, uh, uh, this way, that anything and everything ever said officially now, not these books, you know, rubbish, yeah. but anything officially ever said about Jack the Ripper, I can let them write it all down, and believe me, it'd be quite some list, and without looking at it, I can say, James Kelly, ditto, he fits the lot. Uh, I was accused by a solicitor of saying, it's a good story, Morrison, but at the end of the day, you're only coming up with circumstantial evidence. We've got a good case, you know. But then when it comes to think of it, 90% uh, of murderers, possibly more than that, are convicted on circumstantial evidence. It's, it's very rare indeed you get an eyewitness to murder. Indeed, you know? yeah. 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 And uh, a, a, a quick word, uh, the, 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 the Lord Chief Justice of Great Britain in 1928 um, was judging the case of an appellant who claimed he had been wrongly convicted because the evidence was 
circumstantially and somewhat coincidental. And uh, Lord Hewitt, who's Lord Chief Justice, uh, with two other colleagues, uh, said this. And I'm quoting him now, not me. He said, circumstantial evidence is very often the best, for it is evidence of surrounding circumstances which, by undesigned coincidence, will prove a proposition with the same accuracy as mathematics. And he then gave the appellant the thumbs down. And that became known as the Hewitt Principle, with regards to circumstantial evidence and has been used by no less an authority than the United States Supreme Court. So were I posthumously taking Kelly to the Old Bailey tomorrow, we know that that judge only me that circumstantial stuff, or I should say, I will not allow you, the Crown, to have your cake and eat it. Fascinating. Yeah. Absolutely fascinating. Mm. Now, you're convinced he did the Whitechapel murders. Right. What about this New York and Paris business? Were they copycats? Well, as I said, when, uh, don't forget, before, before Kelly surrendered, as I already explained, the New York police came here. Mm. The Paris police came. Uh, and the first thing Kelly said when he surrendered in Broadmoor, I had an exciting time in New York and Paris. Now, well, could he have known about this? maybe copycat murders and try to claim the responsibility. could very well have done, but then you see the point is, I, I was at sea, not, not for very long, or in the 50s, and believe me, in 39 years, okay, well let's say 30 years, because he was getting on in years at the end, say 30, my word, he, he would have been in every country on earth, because you know we had the greatest maritime fleet of all time. He would have been all over the world. Yeah, he just had to mention them two places. And they were the two places. And they were the two places. And the times, did they fit together? Huh? Did the, the years when these m murders were committed? Well, they came you? after 1888. As I said, 1891, I think was the beginning, although I stand to be correct, at the beginning of 1891 when the New York police came over. And it was in 91, probably towards the end, when the Paris police came over. Right. So, yeah. And I've also found out since, and officially, that James Kelly got deported from the United States, yes, and not as Jack the Ripper, and he didn't say he was an escapee from Broadmoor, no. he said he was an Englishman and he was an illegal immigrant and all that, so the Yanks shipped him back, and they told the police, we're sending him back via a ship to Liverpool. So the police queued up, you know, on the dock, with a stick and all the rest of it, waiting for Kelly to get off the ship. Well, it was accidental. The ship docked on the other side of the Mersey in, in Wallasing. And, and, he, and Kelly got, uh, Burke and Ed, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and Kelly waved across and walked away. They was on the river, you know. And we know it's funny, that really happened, you see. But he wasn't giving himself a push out the river. He was just an illegal immigrant to the United States. And then he was away, I suppose. That was it after, and after and that. And, went. and then, uh, and that was uh, in uh, 1909. Yeah. So, as I said, he gave himself up in 1927, so... But that's where he said he'd been away to sea. I mean, he could have been up to all kinds of things, you know. Okay. Mm. Right. We accept that uh, James Kelly is the true Jack the Ripper, or yeah. was. Where do you go from here? Well, I've... Uh, fortunately, I, I met a gentleman uh, because of the publicity, and I've had lots of publicity, mm. and he's writing the book at the moment, and uh, I've been doing all the research, as you just said. Uh, the manuscript will be ready by the end of the year. Uh, only yesterday I got a letter from him saying he's got a good um, literary agent who thinks we should have no trouble with a publisher because the story is certainly original, you know. 
You haven't written, you haven't come up with this just to write a book, though, have you? I mean, this is your, no, this is your life at the moment. My right? is my, and I know, uh, you know, people will say, well, he's coming out of it as wrong, but it's perfectly true. If the Queen came in the studio now and said, look, forget all that, let's put a match under it, here's the keys to the Bank of England, I would not take it. I, I think I, someone once said, you came into this world with nothing and you'll go out with nothing, but, you know, I really believe you can take something. I mean, my You've got a sense of achievement, haven't yeah, you? Right. You, you can say, well, the world's a little smarter now than it was when I came along. Uh, yes, you can take that with you. Yes, indeed. Okay, so you're having the book published. Published. Do you reckon that's going to upset anybody? Oh, it's going to upset them all. I mean, they're already condemning me. You know, I've been condemned something terrible. Uh, there's uh, Every book, I would say, in the past three years has been published you'll find Morrison, Morrison, Morrison. And I think whether I'm worthy of mention, I'm deserving of notes, you know? Yeah. And if they've got the A to Z on Jack, there is what anybody's ever said. And, uh, well, if it weren't for me, I don't think they'd have a book that would be <laughs> Terrible. And all these people who are saying, oh, in my opinion, it was a Duke of Clarence. Now, I know when you get to the end of the book, they say, uh, but in fairness, I do respect Morrison's views. Uh, you know, in other words, I'm not going to, I'm going to put my money either way here, you know? Okay. So uh, if you condemn them at the end, they'll say, well, uh, don't forget, I did say I, I respect Morrison's ideas, you know. Uh, okay, as well, off, well, and as, well as, as well as the book coming out, anything else? You'll be going around to publicise it, presumably, will you? Uh, no, no, I wouldn't bother myself. I said uh, he'll put it in the hands of the literary agent. Go it's to it's it purely um, a work of love for you, isn't uh, it? It's not love. It's a work of love. And as I said at my age now, you know I've been with the old art, you know. Yeah. And uh, although the doctor said you've got nothing to worry about, he said don't buy anything on HP, you know. <laughs> uh, so no, it doesn't mean anything to me at all. Uh, just as you said, you put it in the, in the bag, is that uh, self-achievement. And uh, as I say, I like to think that people like Marconi and all that, and well, you wouldn't be on this radio tonight if it weren't for Marconi. Right. And so you can say, well, you're a little smarter now than when I came along, you know. I think you can take that with you fascinating uh, and that to me that's better than taking 50 pounds in your back pocket and what you do with that you know <laughs> it'll be gone soon won't it it'll be gone yeah. it's an absolutely fascinating story mm. what are you going to do next are you going to carry on or are you going to look at something else i've been looking at the case of that uh, um very pretty young lady i thought anyway susie lamplew the estate agent you know I've been right but i won't go into detail for i'll say for one i've got an idea but then you never knew how they're listening out there. <laughs> <laughs> you could be telling them and educating them. So uh, that's Susan Lamplew, yes. And, uh, and maybe just a little teeny little bit about this young girl. I can't think of her second name. Rachel, who's murdered on Wimbledon Common. Right, right. right. South Southgate, right. wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. But if I can nip back to Susie Lamplew. If you remember the case, the man, the man gave, his, uh, gave his name as Mr. Kipper. Yes. And everyone associated that name with who? Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper. And if you ask them why, they stand there with a thumb in mouth. I'll tell you. <laughs> it's the only name you can associate with Jack the Ripper. Do you know why? Why? Because there was a joke going around when I was three years old. And I think it was 100 years old then. And it went like this. Why are there no mermaids in the sea? Because they were all got at by Jack the Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> John, thanks very much. That's all right. Wits Cross Hospital Radio in... And that was John Morrison on Whips Cross Hospital Radio. We are a podcast sponsored and hosted by Casebook.org, where you will find over 200 roundtable discussions, 
author interviews, conference presentations, and archive recordings all about Jack the Ripper and Victorian crime. If you have any comments or questions about our podcasts, feel free to find us on the Casebook message boards or on Twitter and Facebook by searching for RipperCast.